I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John again from last week. John 10, verse 10. And I'm going to briefly look at Deuteronomy 28 as we get started. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Our title is Abundant Abundance. This will be our second part. I didn't mean to make it two parts, but I don't like to be in a hurry either. Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundant. I don't think there's anybody in this room who does not want that. That we all want an abundant life. On God's terms and as he meant it to be. Amen. I don't think he meant for us that everybody is going to be wealthy and living in lavish homes and lifestyles. I guess there have been people that that was included. But abundant life goes far beyond wealth. There's more to living the life that God wants us to live than being rich. Because there's a lot of rich people who are miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. And they don't even enjoy life any. They live through worry and fear. They are only able to make it because of drugs and, and some kind of assistance in some way. Money doesn't help any of that. It makes for provisions, but it doesn't help them live an abundant life. But if you're a person who can say, you know, I have learned how to seek to do what's right. I have found out that the key to a relationship with God is doing what he wants me to do. Righteousness. And I found that in his kingdom, the abundant life is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take money to do any of that. It doesn't take a lot of wealth to do that. But you can have both. There are people that can. There are people that can, I guess. But the abundant life, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, just for a moment, this was also... As I understand it, it was mentioned in the Old Testament that God made provisions in the Old Testament for a life we want. And this is under the Old Covenant. You know the story in Deuteronomy 28. He said, uh, all these things shall come upon you and overtake you. Verse 2, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you're a person who pays attention to what God says, if you have a desire to know what God said, and even more than that, to know what he meant by what he said, so did you have understanding, he said, if that's the kind of person you are, if that's your pursuit of God, you want to know what he said and why and how and so forth. He said, if that's your person, if that's who you are, all these blessings shall come upon you. Think of it. All these blessings he's about to mention will come upon you. And they will overtake you. Now, to me, that would be abundance. If you read down through there what they are, and I mean, he talks about blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall be your basket, blessed shall be your store. Well, those are things. That's stuff. And he said, blessed will be your children and the fruit of your body, the fruit of your cattle. Everything you put your hand to will prosper. And think of all the things that you do. God said he will cause it to prosper. Look at verse 8. And the Lord shall command the blessing upon you. That's the abundant life. 
It's not wrong. It's not sinful. It's not covetous. It's just simply God saying, if you will seek me, I will give you these things. You will be blessed as you go out, blessed when you come in. Everything you do, you'll be blessed. You won't need more, put it that way. You want to try to accumulate of it as much of it as you can because God said he gives us richly all things to enjoy, not to accumulate, to enjoy. And a lot of people that have money don't enjoy it. They worry about how long they can keep it or who's going to try to get it. They don't enjoy it, all that money you made. And you're stingy and you're tight and you're miserable and you're wretched and you're blind. Where's peace and joy in any of that? Having money, being wealthy doesn't mean you're living an abundant life. You may have a lot of stuff. And God promises stuff. Nobody can deny it. He promises stuff. He even went on to say in Deuteronomy 28, in verse 11, that he'll make you plenteous in goods. Well, that's a lot of stuff. Plenteous in goods. What is plenteous? Well, for some of us, it didn't take much. It didn't take much. As I've said a couple times here, I've looked back. One day I was out in my man room. I have a man room. And I just realized how much stuff was in there. Just accumulated through the years. Oh, that'd be nice. And, you know, I had, I, well, I could buy that. And next thing you know, you got a room full of stuff. And I realized that all this has been given to me. If it all disappeared, it wouldn't change a thing. If the whole building burned down and blew up, I'd just come back to my office in the morning, I guess, if it's still here and you get ready for next week. It's just like I can enjoy all of this. I don't have to hoard it and try to, but just enjoy it. That's the abundant life. It didn't take much. For some people, he gave a lot. Jehoshaphat, David, Solomon, they had it more than you could imagine. But it doesn't take that much for us to be, I got enough. I don't need any more for what I've got. You might say that. I don't need any more. I love my children. I love my family. My family uh, likes me a lot. You can't buy that. You may think you can buy your children, but you can't. And all the things that go with just loving your grandchildren. Looking forward to seeing people again. And, and even though you got problems to solve or things to fix, you're just glad. That's the abundant life. Not everybody has that. These are things that as we tarry before the Lord, as we learn, as we make application of these things and learn to live this way, God gives us all of that. Not only does he make us plenteous in goods, but he said he'll give us rain. He'll bless all the work of our hands. And he ended by saying, and you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. Well, to me, that would be the abundant life. So as we look at all of this, God wants us to seek and find, knock, it'll be open and so forth. God wants us to find what is in here for us because it pleases him to give us his kingdom. Didn't it say it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what God wants you to have. He gives it to you. He won't hold back anything. He said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. We get all excited about the desires of my heart. Well, but we forget about the delight part. The sheer enjoyment 
of God. The absolute enjoyment of just spending time with him, pondering, meditating, or thinking about what he's taught you all these years, what he's promised you in your current situation, and you're just rehearsing all of that. There's people that should enjoy that. After all these years, you should come to the place where you enjoy that. Because it's a secret place. It's a place where you're communing with God. And God is flooding your heart with all the things you should be thankful for. Look what you've got. Your body works. You're healthy. You can still remember your middle name. You're just blessed. All these years. Blessed when you go out and blessed when you come in. Just like he promised. And you're reflecting on all of that when you're spending time alone. And you begin to praise God. Because he said it would cause thanksgiving to come to God. All the promises of him are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God by us. We're the ones who get the stuff. But we don't live for stuff or for things. We just know that God has said, I will give you richly all things to enjoy. And we get to do that because that's part of the abundant life. Now, we said last week the devil, his goal is to make all of that just the opposite. He doesn't mind you reading about the blessings of God. He just wants you to be one of those people that never could quite get there. You've been robbed. You've been cheated your whole life. The second night I ever heard the message of faith live and in color in my life. As Bonnie and I were driving home, she said, we have been robbed and cheated, or one of those words, our whole life. They begin to look back in the family tree at all the people who came up short in just about everything. Whether it was a marriage, happiness, peace, they were always negative, yakking about somebody. I mean, the whole family tree, just full of nothing but that. Sick, dying young, early, living impaired, and all, the whole life. You say, that's not what God promised. That's not what I'm reading anyway. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, as I said at the time, but... That's not what I'm reading. What I'm reading is what God himself has said. I don't think I've ever believed that. I don't think I've ever experienced that. I'm like most people in the church I go to. They don't believe that it'll really happen. They know he could. They know he has. They know he's able, but it probably won't happen because that's not the way it is. And yet, again, I can say now after running close to 50 years, 46 years of being a Christian, Remember the difficult times of running and believing and holding on and the struggles and all of this. And now you look back from where you are and you think it all worked. It all came about, just like he said. Sometimes it didn't look like it, but it came about. And I've come to this place where everything I think I've ever wanted, that I've ever wanted, I've gotten. I've had it. And yet... Its value is less than it used to be because it took off now. Thank you. I enjoyed the time. How many of you know that when you die, you can't take your house with you? How many of you know that new pair of shoes you bought stays here? That $800 hairdo you've got, it stays here. $800 be a little excessive. That's not abundance. That's foolishness. But anyway... <laughs> As we said last week, 
Jesus came and he destroyed him who had the power of death. Jesus dealt with my enemy, the thief that came to steal and to kill, that kept me under, kept my family under, that was destroying all the peace and the joy that was promised to us but that we never experienced. The thief had robbed us so easily did he rob my family. So easy to do. Just a few little subtle suggestions. Hath God said, well, why would it? And how do you, well, what? Well, that doesn't say, well, whoever heard it? Stuff like that, and you start thinking like that. Next thing you know, you can't believe anymore because you're full of doubt and negativity. And he robs us. He just absolutely robs us like that. But when it comes to warfare... One of the promises, we didn't read it in Deuteronomy 28, it says, but your enemy that comes out against you one way, he will flee other ways. That's the abundant life. Winning your battles. Overcoming your adversities. Not giving up. Not throwing in the towel. Not being covetous and critical of others who are being blessed. The abundant life is winning the battle of life. It includes that. John wrote this about Jesus. He said, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest. Da, da, da. You remember the song? Now you know how to say the rest of it. To destroy the works of the enemy. Now, did he or not? Here's my stand. It may work for you. It's worked for me. If Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, then the devil has no more right to destroy me. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, according to Scripture. And the weapons of my warfare are weapons that he has handed down to me from Ezekiel 11. Those are my weapons too. Or Isaiah was one. So therefore, I can do all things through Christ. I can't overcome. I can triumph daily in Christ. I do have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is my life. He is my breath. He is my all. And in him, I am more than a conqueror. Now, that's my position. And what God laid on Jesus, the devil has no right to lay on me. He bore all of my sicknesses and all of my pains, and by his stripes, I'm healed. Now, that is either true or it's not true. It's either the figment of somebody's elated imagination or it's true. And if it's true, then that's the way it's going to be. I want that. I want to live that life. I want to live a triumphant life. I want to live an overcoming life. I want to have a testimony that these things work for me. And I want you to have it too. That's our testimony. This is life abundant. This is life beyond. Let me give you three questions today. Three questions. One, what is life? You say, well, everybody knows what life is. Well, we'll find out. What is life? Two, what is abundance? And three, how do we appropriate it? Number one, what is life? The definition of life is simply existence. You're breathing. I mean, you're alive. You are living a life on this earth. But it has a spiritual meaning. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming that you might breathe deeper and breathe in more. I didn't come at your eyeballs or be see better. He just said, I'm come in a spiritual sense that you might have life and have it more bundle it. I like the one definition that was given in a Greek dictionary. It says, it's a blessed life. A blessed life. 
a life that satisfies. Would that be a good definition of the abundant life? Living satisfied. And again, it didn't take much, but boy, what do you got? The way you got it, you claimed it, he brought it to you, you fought the good fight, now you're enjoying it. It didn't take much, but you got it. Living satisfied. I think there's a psalmist that said that. The Psalm 91, didn't it say that? Clause 16 of my assurance policy, Psalm 91, it says, with long life. Now that's talking about your existent life. You don't have to worry about dying young. You don't have to worry about diseases getting you. You don't have to worry about this overtaking you and you being the... He said, with long life will I satisfy you. It means you've got all you wanted. It was good. And I would like to think when it's time to go home, it'll just... It'll be good. There's truth to what I'm about to say. Some of you are staring at me like a calf at a new gate. <laughs> Any of you have ever been around where they do raise cows or calves? You change anything in the lot, this stops them for a day or two. Put up a new gate or lay one on the ground. Whoa, what's that? Big eyed. What I'm telling you is true this morning. There's not enough people living the abundant life, there's a lot of interference. In too many lives. There's subtle ways in which the devil is interfering in too many people's lives that's putting a barrier between them and what God wants them to have. Because the life that God promises us is conditioned. See, you don't just get saved, come to the Lord, and all of a sudden everything just happens. You still have to seek, you still have to knock. You still have to ask. You have not because you ask not. Well, I thought I got all this stuff. I, the Bible says, yeah, but well, I don't know. Well, there are conditions. But if you want life, you've got to understand what life is. Life is not just living and existing in this earth, but it's a life that is blessed and determined, guided, and led by the Lord to his blessings. It will include difficulty, it will include trials, it will include hardship, it will include persecution, it will include all those tribulation things that people want you to throw in. But along with all of that stuff, God says he would bless you. Those things no longer defeat you. Those things no longer cause you to draw back and give up and complain. Like a lot of Christians, they just complain. Just whine all the time. But they don't do that to you when you get your eyes open. You begin to live this way that God wants you to live. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Now this I would describe as the abundant life. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. In other words, everything you will ever need in this life to live on the level that God wants you to live has already been given. Do you see that? According to his divine power, what he is able to do for you. He said that 
according to his divine power is given unto us all things pertaining unto life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge. Do you believe that when you're born again, you know everything you need to know? So learning is vital. Accessing information from God is vital. You cannot believe what you do not know. You cannot enjoy what you're not sure of. Open mine eyes, O Lord, that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. I need to see what you're saying. Just because I hear it, I mean, there's a lot of people that have eyes to see and ears to hear. They don't know what you're talking about. I think churches are full of people, like good people. But Lord, teach me, make me to understand, cause me to hear your loving kindness and, and all of those kind of verses in the Bible. I can't live a life that I don't know what it's about. So show me what it is you want me to see, Lord. And he says in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Shouldn't that be our testimony? You know why that should be our testimony? Because that's what's promised. That's what God wants. This is what you just read here is also a part of the abundant life. The Almighty God says, let me show you what I'm going to give you, what I am able by my divine power to bring into your life and change everything in your life. I can do this. What are those things? Great and precious promises that by these promises, these wonderful things that God gives you, that by those things you will escape the covetousness and the corruption and all that junk in the world. You won't need to want what I've got or what somebody else has got. God will give you those things. Hold on. He said that you escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. You don't have to be lustful about anything. You don't have to wish you had what somebody else had. You don't have to sit around and cry about your current situation. Oh, this old car, I'm telling you, this is not the abundant life. It probably isn't, and it will remain like it is until you learn to be content in such things as you have. Being content doesn't mean you're stuck in the mud forever. It just means in your current situation, rejoice. Rejoice evermore. But this is the difficulty in the Christian life. Listen to me. A lot of people, maybe some of you have never learned that. You've got to learn to rejoice. Thank God. You know, I may be right here. I may have an old 1980 Bronco. And the fenders are rusted out of it. It's got a blue velour truck seat in it. It's stick shift and a Synchronizers are a little tough going from second up to third. It's a little rowdy looking, a terror to snow. <laughs> well, this is all I got. This looks terrible here. I am the preacher coming to church and I'm embarrassing all these people. Look what God knows. Doesn't your father know what you're driving? Does God know 
what you want. You say, I want a new Escalade. Well, you hold on. At least a new Ford, but <laughs> I'm just kidding you about that. You just have to be rejoicing. <laughs> hold fast to where you are. Hold fast. Rejoice. Count it all joy when the trial is over. Did you know what he said in James 1? Count it all joy when the thing finally ends. He said, count it all joy when you fall into these diverse kinds of trials, knowing this, that God is doing a deeper work in you, that at some point later on in your life, you're going to find yourself saying, praise God. At the time you were saying, oh me. But now you're saying amen. The abundant life, folks, sometimes doesn't look like the abundant life. But if at any time in your life when it's darkest, if you can say my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you have the abundant life. You know that? You are there. You are there. You may not be in, know all the details of it, but if you're going to heaven, you got it. Ain't nothing better than going to heaven. I can't imagine anything in this life better than, than walking through the portals of glory and living in eternity with Christ. I can't imagine. That's what he came for us to have. In the meantime, we're in this old, dark, terrible world. Yes, and he said in this world, he will bless you as you go in, bless you when you come out. He'll put a bounce in your step, a smile on your face. Others will see it. Psalmist said so. Others will see it and will fear and will trust in the Lord. You're a testimony to the fact that a Christian can make it. You're living the abundant life because you can overcome. Overcome. All of those kind of things. But this is the life. The abundant life is a way of life with promise. Every need in your life can be met, should be met, by one of God's many promises. He has made, somebody once said, 8,000 promises. You need to find them for sure. You need to find out what they are. Because you cannot appropriate for yourself a promise if you don't know what the promise is. I mean, how important in 2 Peter 1 was knowledge. I think in the verses 2, 3, and 4, he uses knowledge three times. How important is it to know? If it's important to know, then it's important to teach it. Isn't it? If I was pastoring a church that was living down in the dumps on Grumble Alley, always crying about their cake that's across the lake over in Canaan's fair and happy land, I'm just a poor old broke down saint. I'd have to say, we need to do some teaching. You may be a saint and you may be poor. You may not have much. And so... The reason you may be poor and broke down is because you don't know any better. You got a good heart, you're a good soul, you're a good person, a hard-working person. And the devil has kind of kept you down because he's kept you in the dark. But, you know, when your eyes get open and you see things you've never seen before, if God shows you those things, that's what he's offering you. I mean, you see yourself, which is important, to see yourself as God says you are. To have a revelation in your heart 
of what God is saying. To put myself in heavenly places with him, take him at his word, and if he said he would make me plenteous in goods, do that. I'll, yes, praise the Lord. If he said he had blessed me when I go out, then I believe when I go out, I'm going to be blessed. I may have a struggle and a difficult day, but I'll be blessed because that day won't whip me. And when I come in, I'll be blessed. Come back to my home and enjoy the moment. I don't have to be defeated. I don't have to be downtrodden. I don't have to feel gloomy and mad and angry all day long. I do not have to. That is not abundance. There is relief for all of those things, but you've got to know what they are. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 10, he said, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In other words, as I know, I grow. As I grow, I benefit. As I benefit, I overcome. One translation about Colossians 3.10, today's Christian New Testament, I don't promote these. I just happen to be able to access them. It said, and clothe yourselves with that new self, which as it gains in knowledge is being constantly renewed in resemblance to him that made it. Is it true? Is it true that what God shows us is what he wants us to aspire to be? The knowledge of the measure of the stature of Christ. Isn't there something in the Bible about that in Ephesians 4? And are we not to grow up into him in all these things? <laughs> Amen, Lord. Amen. Yes, we are. Lord, open my eyes. Let me see all of this. Let me see it and get excited about it. Let me see it and be aware that you're showing me this because this is my provision. This is part of my inheritance while I'm on this earth. I have a heavenly inheritance. But that blessed me going in, blessed me coming out, all those other things. I like that too, Lord. What do you say in Ephesians 4? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. One of the promises in Deuteronomy 28 was God will make us a holy people. That's the abundant life. Living a holy life in a world that's against it. Where there is persecution and adversity and, and difficulty, in the midst of all of that, God is doing this wonderful work. Preparing our table uh, in heaven. No, preparing our table for us in the midst of our enemies. And you'll lay you down and sleep. And you'll eat and be full. And you will enjoy the bounty that God has given. That's the abundant life. This is the way he describes it. And this is what he wants. But we have to learn what that is. If we don't learn, if we just go to church and become church members, just a good Methodist, Baptist, whatever branch you were, know of. If that's all we do, we just join one that we like. Let me see. I think I'll go to that one. Or they sing better over here at the Nazarenes. I'll go to that one. Well, the church of God's a little more lively. I'll go to that. If all you do is go somewhere to entertain self and you're not really being taught, 
inspired, convicted, sometimes made angry. If something's not going on between you and God that's pulling you to him, what did God say? My people are destroyed. Why? For lack of knowledge. Isaiah said, my people have gone into captivity. They're held down. They're bound because of a lack of knowledge. This is not the way it should be. We should not be like those that, whose understanding is darkened. We can't put things together. It doesn't make sense for us. Having your understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, Paul wrote. Isn't that awful to be ignorant, to grow older ignorant, to be without knowledge, to be ignorant? It doesn't mean you're, you're not a smart person. It just means that it's not a big deal. You don't really care that much about biblical knowledge and all that Bible stuff. Look, I'm going to heaven, and that, that to me is all I want. That's all there. Come on now. The Bible says you're cut off from God because of ignorance. Because when you're ignorant, you sin, and you do things you shouldn't do because you think you're all right. That's never good. But he said, having the understanding darkened, can't process stuff that God is saying. So you just sit there and listen to it. And then when it's over, you go home. You don't know what you heard. And it really doesn't matter because, well, I'm all right anyway, I guess. But he said they are alienated from God and cut off because of ignorance. So what is life? Life is living the life that God gives, which is full of promises. For every need in your life, there's a promise. The fulfilling of that promise, the enjoying of that promise is the abundant life. Now, what does the word abundance mean? Well, abundance, by definition, it just means super abundant. More than enough. Overflowing. That's what the word abundance means. Albert Barnes, a preacher that I really enjoy, a Presbyterian of the 1800s, this is what he wrote about the abundant life. He said, the word denotes that which is not absolutely essential to life, but which is super added to make life happy. They shall not merely have life, simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super added things which are needful to make that life eminently blessed and happy. Now, I like that because it meshes with something Jesus said. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, to take no thought for this, take no thought for your life, take your body and so forth. He said, for your father knoweth, in John 6, 32, for your father knoweth that you have need of these things. Matthew 6, 33, he says, for your father knows. Jesus said, take no thought for your life or this or that. He said, your father knows. God said, your father knows that you have need of these things. So well, I don't need much. You need some of it. You got to pay your bills, don't you? He said, all these things that the Gentiles, the world out there, the world that is apart from God, all their pursuits and their covetous desires, 
to try to accumulate and get and have and then be noted for it and be famous for it, write books about it. He said, your father knows that you need all this stuff. You got to have that to pay your bills and to live in this world. You got to be clothed. You got to have something to drive if you drive to work. I mean, the donkey age is gone <laughs> for a while anyway. And your father knows you need all these things. But seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Righteousness. Righteousness. Peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Seek first that. Are you with me this morning? I know I've got my verses right this morning so far. He said, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. He said, the kingdom is where you're going to live. God is changing us to a, into a kingdom mentality, thinking heavenly. Before heaven is actually experienced, we're going to learn to think like that. Righteousness. Is it right? Praise God. Just like Greg was saying, I'm thinking right now. Things that, you know, what about this, God? What about that? It, I want to do what's right. And boy, the overflowing peace and the joy, no matter what's going on. Wow, it just makes life good. Makes it good. So he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his rights and Now, is it wrong for all those things to be added to you? It just depends on your attitude about them. If you're covetous and you're trying to get more and you're eager and, oh, boy, if I could just get this and have that. I mean, he did say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He said he'll open the windows of heaven for you. He said in Luke 8, if you give and it'll be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give to your bosom? John 16 says, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. How about Psalm 23? Is that still in the Bible? He leads me beside the still waters, green pastures, restores me, puts me back in right order, restores my soul, spreads a table before me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What more could anybody want? You don't have to be rich to experience goodness. You don't have to even own property to experience joy. Goodness and mercy shall follow me out. Wow. Or the 91st Psalm. How about no evil shall befall you, no plague. Come now your dwelling, that he will give charge to his angels concerning you to keep you in all your ways. I think that's abundance. Because not many people in the world even believe that. Even believe it as evidenced by the fact that they hardly ever claim it. Christians, oblivious to it. Yeah, well, I've read, the, what is that, Psalm somewhere? It's a vital part of my walk that God will give charge to his angels. The angels of the Lord will encamp round about those that fear him. And he'll protect them and keep them.
In Hebrews 1, there are heavenly messengers sent to minister to us. That sounds abundant to me. I just think that abundant life is, is being aware of a problem before a problem comes. I remember once driving in a million of miles or so I've driven in my life. I had this funny feeling about up ahead and either slowed down or something. And sure enough, if I'd kept the speed up, whatever it was I was doing, I would have been in a wreck. Is that abundance? Amen. It was abundant life. Or a wheel fell off of a car one time I owned. It was a shush, shush. I can't, I don't know how to say it. But it was, a, it, it was made by the French. And, uh, and a wheel fell off at a gas station. I mean, the right front wheel was wobbling and just about fell all the way off of the bearings. I guess they burn out or something, burnt the wheel. It just, it just fell off at a gas station right off the interstate. Pulled off the interstate to see what that was, and a wheel fell off. Now, you say, well, that's not the abundant light. It had been better than it happened on the interstate. <laughs> And besides, they get, the next day they got it fixed, and we even made it to church that morning. We come back from Chicago. Somebody had to come and get us, and I think it was Catherine had to come and get us and drive us to Shelbyville, and we got here just in time. In spite of her, we got here just in. <laughs> we got here just in time. The car was towed in next day, and the guy, a mechanic, fixed it, and it was fine, good to go. Everything was fine. I think that's abundance to me. A little bit of a glitch in the, in the way, but, you know, life is full of glitches. Glitches are learning experiences and moments to test your joy button to see if you really are joyful and excited. Remember this, that God gives you richly. First Timothy six seventeen, God gives you richly. He said that in the verse that says, charge those who are rich in this world not to be heady and high-minded. Because he said in Luke chapter 12, life doesn't consist in the abundance of things you have. That's not what life is about. He will give you that, but life is bigger than that. They don't make a car big enough today that God goes, wow. <laughs> there isn't any. I mean, a, a heavenly creature could set in the finest car ever made, and he wouldn't go, whoa, what a ride. Because they go from here to there by blinking their eyes or whatever they do. Well, that's a better ride. But God is good. What about the time, though, that people start accumulating things. I certainly did and have. What about the possible influence of those things in your life to make you covetous? Because let's face it, you get a little bit of something, you want a little bit more. That's evidence for that cake you ate last night. <laughs> yeah, you got one little slice. Uh, any more slices over there? Or you got some money in a certain way, and wow, now look, you can do this, and I'd like to do this some more. Next thing you know, you begin to be ruled by money and the pursuit of things. Turn to Ecclesiastes for a minute. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver, well, there's a lot of these now, he that loves money, he that loves what money does and how money makes you feel secure, he that loves money shall 
not be satisfied with money. It never does. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is vanity. The word vanity means useless. Of no avail. He that loves abundance will not be satisfied with abundance. The more you get, you're not better off. Now you want more. Now this aggravating and, and this pursuing, it takes all your time. You deny your family and other things, maybe your health, because you're trying to get money or abundance. And look down in verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Which one would you rather be? Well, I'd rather be a rich insomniac than I would have. No. God gives sleep for a reason. Sleep is important. Sometimes God speaks to us in sleep. Gives revelation. A night vision, so forth. But a man who is miserable and cannot enjoy life anymore, cannot enjoy it because he's in the pursuit of more money. It's like a billionaire. Today, there's more people talk of billionaires than I ever thought was possible. I asked myself a question. How much money does a billionaire need to have enough? And Rockefeller said, just a little more. Never has enough. His whole life is in trying to get the angles and do this and do that. Just in this frenzy. And the Bible says silver never satisfies. If you love silver, it won't satisfy you. If you can let go of it, God will give you more. Just don't get tied to it. Because a man that does that, he's missed the whole point of life. God gives you richly all things to enjoy. How many of you know you can't take the purest silver corn ever made to heaven? It has no value in glory, none whatsoever. The streets of glory are made of pure gold, it says. I don't know what they look like. God can't give a description of it. Because all I know about gold is what you know about gold. But a street, how long is a street in heaven? Well, it's be 1,500 miles long from one end to the other. Well, how wide is the street? Well, as wide as it needs to be. There's mansions and glory and things that the eye has not thought or seen or the ear hasn't heard or mind never thought of. Heaven is bigger than all the human adventure and thinking. And the streets are gold and the pearls at the gate. What an oyster. <laughs> oyster, a big pearl. And silver is like dust. You know, at one time Solomon was like that. Silver was like dust. And one day when their hearts turned away from God and they begin to live wrong and begin to abuse each other and begin to talk about each other and mislead each other and they begin into this yakking. See, that was the coming of Facebook, what that was. They get into all that stuff, next thing you know, they were overwhelmed, defeated, and all that dust and all that gold and all that silver, somebody else got it and took it somewhere else. It didn't mean anything to God. God gives it to you to enjoy. You can't take it to heaven. Don't get so tore up with it. I'm not the norm for anybody. I just remember the way it was in, in my life, and I know how it turned out. 
That's the best illustration I have. I remember years ago that, that there was little of anything, but we had these promises. I was claiming promises for a car when such a thing was absurd. And then when I got the car, you would have thought the world was about to end. How'd you get there? Where'd it get? And then, boy, the Facebook, really, man. Where'd he get it? Well, I wonder who he got. How much was it? Well, he make they were just yakking through the church. I just tell them, I don't know who did it. I do not know. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I will enjoy it. <laughs> well, you can be sure I'll enjoy it. I drove 40,000 miles first year and sold it to a guy for half of what it was worth because he needed a car. And I got a better one. And it's been like that for 30 years. Just the fact that you ask and you shall receive or in our third point, how do we appropriate this? By faith. The reason for knowledge is faith. Well, you shall know the truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's millions of people that have heard it and never have believed it. So hearing is only knowledge. It becomes a basis for faith if you believe what you heard. A lot of people hear it, question it, and go home. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. That's a little excessive, I think. Well, I think that's just, I don't know. about. So they heard it. They just didn't believe it. But biblical faith is when you hear it, you grab a hold of it, and you wrestle with it, and you won't let go of it, and God gives revelation of it, and then you go, wow, praise God. I can believe for a new car. Let's believe for a new car, Bonnie. Now, she didn't say, well, what would people think? It didn't even matter what people thought. My family had been steeped in poverty my whole life, all my life. My dad had a good job, made good money, I'm sure, but they lived on $50 a week. They went through the Depression. That was the last century. They went through the Depression and knew what it was like to have nothing. And a fear that it might come again kept them from enjoying the abundance that God was wanting to give them. Well, their son took care of that. Because we came along and I learned all these things. I was learning these things. It, there wasn't much evidence of it. But when it did begin to work, wow. You've heard this story before. Allow me one more time. Coming back from a, a Bible study I had in Lexington, Kentucky in 1973. We were starting to grow and, and I was preaching, teaching in. And I was saying the things I have now driving an old Volkswagen. You know. That's all I had. That's not what I was going to have forever, but at the time, that's what I had, praise the Lord. And then after the Volkswagen came something else, and then after the Volkswagen came a Lincoln, a Lincoln town car. It had a little wind in the back of it like that, you know. It was pretty, but I was driving 40,000 miles a year having back problems. I thought that would help it. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Down there... Lexington, Kentucky one night and driving home, you know, the offering was, you know, it was standard. Coming home one night, this is 1973. And some man has stuck a check in my pocket. People do that occasionally. Not, that's embarrassing to me, not to my wife, but it would be to me. But <laughs> driving home, I remember out there on the circle, they call it the circle down here in Lexington and pulled that check out and looked at it. It's $3,000. But that's more money than is in Fort Knox. 
That was a lot of money, trust me. That was, it still is. I remember all I could think of was the people back home that needed tires for their car. If you're from the south, there's tars. If you go up north, above the river, tires. But I'm thinking, how many people that needed tires? And so, <laughs> and I found, as a testimony, I've learned this. The more you're inspired to take what you have when you don't need all of it to help others and give it and do whatever as the Lord leads, there's no end to the coming back. I said good measure, shaking together, pressed down. I have experienced that. I'm not trying to get it. I've never taken up an offering in my life. And I've never asked for money. I've asked for other people, but not for myself. You don't have to. He said, you seek first the kingdom and you can throw your microphone away. The microphone's what you broadcast through for your needs to be met. This abundant life is appropriated, folks, by faith. Turn to Luke 15 about the prodigal son. See, Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Didn't he say that? So even though... God has made this provision for my life. I still have to ask for it. And I can't ask for it if I don't know that he's promised it. Because I can't make up something that I want and expect him to respond to it. Faith that I have comes by hearing what he offers. And if he's offered this and, and my faith embraces that, that's what I can believe for. Whether I really believe it or not remains to be seen. Folks, listen, it's just like prayer. You can pray any prayer you want to. You can pray for as much of anything that you want to. It never means you believe that. You might be the most eloquent prayer in the whole county. Everybody wants you on their program so you can pray. Because they love to hear you put all those words together. I've been in meetings where they got somebody to pray who could really take off. Go to the moon with his prayer. And I remember back in those young and dumb days of my own life, how much of all this flowery speech do you really believe? God's not impressed with our ability to throw a bunch of words together. Hoo, hoo, hoo. But the question is, when you're approaching his throne, he said the only thing you're ever going to get is what you believe. Not what you can say. Not how many flowery little things you can throw out there. What do you believe? Do you believe God will supply your needs or are you just quoting that because the Bible says it and you're hoping it works? It won't work. You got to believe it. You got to be settled in your heart. There's got to be a certainty in your heart that what he promised, I have it. He said, well, I can't see it. No, faith is the evidence of things not seen. God calls those things that be not as though they are. So must I. Because the faith I have came from him. And if I'm calling things that be not as though they are, the only way it'll work is if I believe that. Well, I heard you pray like that, so I'm going to pray like that. It won't work. You've got to believe it in your heart. My heart must embrace it to where it is certain, sure, I am firmly persuaded that God will do for me what he has shown me, and I believe it. That's the way it works. Well, Brother Hamilton, you know, he laid hands on a stove one time, an electric stove that was all burnt up. 
And later on, a week or so later, he turned on the burner, hot burner button. The one that didn't work turned it on one night. And before he even had a chance to get started, he told his wife, Bonnie, I thought you said this stove was broke. There's nothing wrong with this stove. And you think, well, I'm just acting my faith. And look over at that burner starting to glow red. People even back in our church said, it began to do what? The chairman of the board came out to the house to look at the stove. <laughs> Didn't he? Smitty Moyers. He came to look at it. My daddy had taken the back of the stove off. It wouldn't work. All them little curly wires are all broken. You need a new one. <laughs> well, put that on a prayer list. I can't buy a stove. Not right now. I can believe for one. But when you pray, do you believe you're going to get one? Well, I, I don't know. Well, then you're, it's not faith. When it's faith, you know you've got it. You look at the driveway every day. Where's that truck? What truck? That truck's got my stove in it. Man came out and looked at that stove, and he said, praise God. Turned it on. It worked. How can this be? It, don't look in the back anymore. Just put something on there you want to cook. <laughs> he said, go buy your new stove. Buy any kind you want. Well, I'd have gone down and got the base model, Bonnie, uh-uh. Ovens and knobs, and she got one of those deluxe models. That's right. Whole church heard about it. I thought I was going to have to get us some kind of a, a system, let them all walk through the house. It's the abundant life. It's things like that that God uses to alert and get our attention. God still does that. Amen. He can still fix things. And even though he fixed it, he gave you a better one. Because God is able to do, help me, exceeding abundantly above just about all. Come on, no, you're all overloading it now. Exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Don't you like that? Wouldn't that be the abundant life? That's the abundant life that you ask, and he did it. Look at the prodigal son. Are you there yet in, in Luke chapter 15? The story of the prodigal son, if you're a preacher here today, there's a lot of good points here, a lot of good sermon material. But here was a man who got it at the beginning. You can find it in there as I tell it. He said, Father, I want my inheritance now. I mean, I am ready to face the world. I just need a little money. Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till I'm old and can't enjoy it. I want mine now. I mean, is it mine? Yeah. So the Father gave him that. Wow. And the Bible said he wasted his substance on riotous living. They're doing it today and don't know it. I just heard on the radio the other day about a basketball player that made $42 million in his NBA career who is broke. Boy, the devil had a wonderful feast day with that, didn't he? He made an absolute fool of a man that thought he had some kind of a talent, and now he's broke, and he's wretched, and he's miserable, and he's poor. I think he can still see. I don't think he's blind. This boy said, give me mine. And the Bible said he wasted his substance on righteous living. How many of you believe that while he was enjoying unloading all that money, living righteously, he thought he was living the abundant life? 
He thought he had it together. Look at me. Wow. Everybody, a lot of friends and all this kind of stuff. And one day it was all gone. It came to an end. It always, it always does. It came to an end. And the best job he could find was feeding pigs, hogs. And the stuff that he went home to eat wasn't as good as what he was feeding hogs. And the Bible said when he came to his right senses, he thought about home. Man, I'd like to go back home, but I can't go back home. I'd, I would love to go back and be with my daddy, but I, I, I can't. I, I, I can't go back there after all I've done and the way I've lived. I mean, now he's aware of the foolishness of his life. I mean, I've wasted all my substance, and I've made a fool of myself. Look at me. I'm broke and dirty. Probably smell like those pigs. My daddy won't want me. I mean, I've embarrassed him. I've done him wrong. Mom, too. But he said, you know, I don't know of anybody else in all the world that I'd rather take a chance at loving me and accepting me more than my parents. So I'm going to go home. And he went back home. And in verse 28, this is that brother of his. He went home. The son did. The father gave him a ring and a robe and, and sandals. He even put a ring on his finger. The anti-abundant life people said, well, he didn't need that ring. Didn't say he gives us anything like that because we need it. A ring wasn't a need. It didn't make food taste better. It's the father's good pleasure to give those things. He offers it to us. It's a picture. I hope you see it. And he gave him and sandals for his feet and put a robe on him and put a ring on his hand. And he brought him in. He said, go out and kill the fatted calf. You know, the nice one. And let's butcher that. And oh, let's have a feast. My son who was lost is found. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 28. And his brother said, what's going on in verse 27? Your brother's back. You mean my brother spent all of it and acted like a fool? Yeah. Well, what's he doing here? Well, your father's having a feast for him. He's doing what? He said he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and entreated him. His father cared about him. He just had a problem. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I serve thee, neither have I transgressed thy commandments, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. I've been a church member. I've been a vital part of this church all of my life, and I have never been blessed like that. I've never gotten anything. I just don't like it when other people get things either. What a hole you crawl into like that's a religious hole. He might as well have said, well, I guess if God wants me to be blessed, he'll bless me, won't he? I guess if God wants me to have that, then I'll have it. That's his theology. He was probably taught that way, but that's probably more of an opinion that he has that he has made a religion out of. He's never seen anything blessed. He never laid hands on anybody. He never saw a miracle take place. He never saw anybody ask and they shall receive. He never saw somebody get a new car or anything. So as far as he's concerned, that just doesn't happen. And that's his philosophy. It'll probably never happen for him. And he'll teach his children the same thing. And they'll teach their children the same thing. And they'll go to church and die there. 
Because all religion, all Christianity is, is just go to church and somehow make it to heaven. That's it. Nothing about walking through this life or having a life you got to live now to live abundantly. Oh, no, you're covetous. There's something wrong. That's cult teaching. That's the way it is with a lot of people. Their faith, whatever that is to them, well, if God wants me to have it, I guess he'll give it to me. It's just like somebody said, well, if God wanted me to smoke, he'd put a chimney on my head. Ha, ha, ha. But fact of the matter is, he also said, you want, you seek. Seek and you'll find. See, just because you're saved doesn't mean you found anything. You found Christ. Yes, yes, yes. But as far as the way that he pleases, he pleases you, blesses you, you haven't found that. Seek. And when you find it, ask. Knock. Everyone that seeketh finds, everyone that asks receives, everyone that knocks, the door will be open to you. You have not because you ask not. You didn't even know you could ask. You've been in darkness. Your church has kept you blind all these years. I mean, you're a good person. Everybody knows you're moral and you're all right and you're, you're supportive. Yes, yes, and yes. But the thing about it is you have been robbed. You have just been robbed. There is a life that we can all live. You can actually be happy in this life. You can actually love people. You can. You actually can do all of those things, and God can make that possible. Everything we need to receive anything that God has promised has already been given to us. It's already done. And I'm going to close with this. Philippians chapter 4. If you'll turn to that, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing. The word be careful is our take no thought word. Don't worry. Don't be stressed out about anything. 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 Nothing. He said, be careful for nothing, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And what follows? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Is that what it said? Again, verse 6, and we'll close. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? What are you thanking him for? Tell me, what are you thanking him for? Thanksgiving for what? Are you thanking him for what you're going to get or for what he's promised? Do you believe when you pray you have received? Is that scriptural? Amen. When you pray, believe, you have received. That's appropriating it. When you pray, you believe. Anybody can pray. Not everybody believes. When you pray, believe. He said, and when you pray, all kinds of different prayers and supplication, 
add thanksgiving to it because thanksgiving is a sure sign. You're giving thanks to God before the battle is over. Remember Jehoshaphat? Second Chronicles 20. Remember when Jehoshaphat was told that he need not fight in this battle, but tomorrow go out and face them? They come up south of where they were by the Dead Sea down there. They come up by the cliff of Ziz. Go out there tomorrow and see the salvation of God. Remember that? The enemy's alive and well. They got their swords sharp. There they are. And here comes the church. I mean, face to face. Rejoicing. They believe what a prophet said. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves and see the salvation of the Lord. A man said that. Not a voice from heaven. A man, an ordinary man said that. And on the basis of what a man said, they were willing to take their lives, their family, walk right out there and look at death. Look at death. It just so happened that what the man said was what God said. God said it through a man. And boy, they begin to kill each other. And here is Jehoshaphat and his crowd giving thanks. They were hollering, Yadol, Halal, Hebrew words for thanksgiving, spinning around like a top. Woo-hoo-hoo! Doing all that kind of stuff. Why were they doing that? Because they believed that God was going to give them the victory. Before the victory was ever had, they started acting like they had already won. That's what faith does. You start acting like you have something that you really haven't seen yet. You start acting like it's so. That's what God wants. That then, when the answer comes, the manifestation occurs, and what you were believing for, now you can drive it or whatever you believe for, it changes your whole demeanor. Somehow or another, this car you worked so hard to get is not nearly as important as that feeling you're having right now. Oh, God. You feel like you ought to just pull over and turn off the key and just bow your head and give God thanks. He has done something in your heart. He's made you know that a few fish, a couple fishes and a few loaves doesn't just work once. Jesus said, you remember that? Believe that. God will take care of you. The day after Jehoshaphat won his battle, they all assembled in the Valley of Barakah. And it took them three days to carry away all the spoil. Then they assembled there on the fourth day to worship the whole day. Praise God. That is the abundant life. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus. We give you thanks this morning for your abundance. I do. I thank you for the promise that we can be blessed as we came in here. We can be blessed as we leave here. That whatever we put our hands to, you will bless it. You will make it work. You will bless us as parents with wisdom on how to raise and teach and correct and inform our children as married people on how to live that to the fullest and to learn to love and to give and to take and to trust. The better job, the bills that need to be paid, the lack of contentment, all the things, Lord, that harass us, 
I ask you to deal with your people today, wherever they are, that you bless them all. Let the word flood their souls and their hearts and minds. We give you thanks, Lord, that this day you will open for many here today. You will open the door of heaven, and the blessing is on its way. In Jesus' name, receive it. Amen. Amen.